You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. We're so glad to be here uh, with you, uh, Brandon and I, and we're just uh, thrilled to be here. Opportunity to open God's Word this morning, so I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. That's the last book of the Bible, the first chapter. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 9 through 20. Now, I know that uh, none of you here this morning need to be convinced of this fact, and that fact is this, that life can be challenging. All right, is there anybody, anybody in here this morning that doesn't know that there are times when life can be challenging? I mean, we all know that, right? We all know that. If I were to come to some of you and you were going to be brutally honest with me, I don't know if you would be, be that brutally honest with me, but if I said to you, hey, how was your week? And you were going to be honest, you would have to say, well, it was challenging. You know, like work was like crazy this week. I don't know why, you know, the week before wasn't that bad, but like this week was like off the charts crazy. Or, I, you know, my kids, I, I don't know why, I'm not sure I can put my finger on it, but there was just, it just seemed to be a little challenging this week. You know, we had a few dinner conversations that were just a little bit challenging. Or maybe your relationship with your spouse is, is like that right now. You know, you, you, again, you're not sure exactly why, but there's a, a sense of tension maybe in, in your home, right? And can we all just agree to this fact? Life can be challenging. Is that true? It's true. Life can be challenging. So the question is not, is life challenging? The question is, how do I deal with the challenges of life? That's what the question is. And here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, uh, John, the apostle, is faced with some significant challenges. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see how we can deal with the challenges of life. Because this is true. This is so important. You've got to walk away with this truth. When life is challenging, where Jesus is, and who Jesus is matters. All right, let's just bow for a word of prayer. Father, in just these last couple of minutes as we've talked about the challenges of life, I know there are people here this morning who are feeling the weight of those words. And we can all relate to the weight of those words. And so just as we have expressed our hearts full of love towards you in, in our worship this morning, now we, we await your word to us through, through the word of God, the Bible itself. And as we walk our way through this passage, we just want to place ourselves underneath the authority of God's word. The authority of your word. So, Spirit, speak clearly into our hearts as only you can. Take the Word of God and penetrate deep into our souls so we can know how is it that we can face these challenges of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so life is challenging. So you need to know this. Write this down in your notes. You need to know this. When you follow Jesus, your faithfulness to Jesus is going to be challenged at some point point your faith in Jesus and your faithfulness to Jesus will be tested. Look at what it says here in Revelation chapter 1, 
verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. At some point, your faith in Jesus and your faithfulness to Jesus is going to be tested. Now, the person who's writing these words is John. Who's John? Well, John is the Apostle John. He was, if you read through the gospel records, he was uh, that John, the one who was really close to Jesus. Remember how he was kind of part of the inner circle amongst the 12? There was the 12, and then there was the three, and and John was part of the three, and he was the one. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross and he said to Mary, his mother, this now is your what? Son. Well, I mean, you got to have a pretty, pretty close relationship with Jesus for him to say something like that. This is the guy. If anybody, if, if anybody could say that he was loved by Jesus, John could say that. So this is who's writing this. He's this is, this is John. Look at what he says in verse 9. I, I am John. I'm your brother and your partner. He identifies himself as a, as a brother with the people that he's writing to. Well, not a physical brother, but a, a spiritual brother. And he says we're, 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 we've got this relationship in Jesus. And then he says we're not only brothers, but we're also, what's the next word he uses? We're what? Partners. That means like we're co-workers. You notice what he says we're co-workers in? He says in verse 9, we're co-workers in the what? Tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are what? In Jesus. Okay, if you're going to circle or underline any two words in verse 9, underline those words. In Jesus. John is saying that when we're in Jesus, we have this unique relationship with one another. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. True? Right? When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you have this unique relationship with other people that place their faith in Jesus Christ. No matter where you go around the world, if you come across somebody who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you have this unique kind of brother-sister relationship with them. He says, we have this unique relationship. We're brothers. We're also partners. We're co-workers. When we're in Jesus, we, get, we experience that. We experience that kind of relationship. But then we also experience a a, a unique kind of reality, and he describes it with these three words. When we're in Jesus, we experience these three things. What are they again? They're what? Tribulation. What's the next one? Kingdom. And what else? Patient endurance. Think about those three words. Tribulation, kingdom, patient endurance. Let's do a vote. Which word do you like the most out of that, out of that trio? Kingdom, right? Love kingdom, love the idea of kingdom, right? What does the kingdom mean? What does it mean that when we're in Jesus, we participate, we have this reality of being in kingdom? Well, it means that we are part, we have this relationship with a king. The king's name is Jesus. And he's on his throne. He he rules. He rules now, as Jesus said, even as he announced when he was on this earth, he said, now is the kingdom, I'm here. And, and we also anticipate the day in the future uh, when we will, finally, we will finally enter into glory and we will experience the kingdom in all of its fullness and the, 
and then the second coming of Christ when the new heaven and new earth are established. That's the fullness of his, of his kingdom. It's a now, but it's also a not yet kind of reality. But we, we, we experience that. I mean, who, who doesn't want kingdom? Kingdom's like, I get to be with the king. And when I'm with the king, I get all the benefits of being with the king. And Jesus said, when you hang out with me, you get to experience the abundant life. And you can experience joy in your life. And you're going to experience my presence in your life. It's kind of like having the, uh, a big truck kind of unload at your house. And just all the, all the goodness of life just kind of drops out on the driveway. That's what it's like to be in the kingdom. He says, he says, when you're in Jesus, you get to experience this reality. You, you get to be with the, the king and with other people who are following the king. And there's nothing quite so beautiful as being part of the kingdom. But when you're in Jesus, not only do you get to experience the kingdom, but you also get to experience tribulation. Suffering. That's what the word means there. It, means, it literally means suffering. It means pain. It means to... That we, that we suffer, and because we suffer, we, experience, we have to experience patient endurance. We have to live with the weight of life. It's like sometimes there's, we experience, when we're in Jesus, sometimes we have to walk around with an extra bag of rocks, an extra weight on us, and you're just underneath the weight of life. Have any of you ever experienced that before? When you're in Jesus, you are in this relationship with one another that is both kingdom and all of its beauty, but it's also at times full of suffering. And because it's full of suffering, you have to experience this patient endurance. Now, this is how John describes what he was going through. Look at what he says in verse 9. I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so he, his experience of kingdom and suffering and patient endurance translates to this island called Patmos, which, by the way, is not a vacation destination. In case you, in case you think there was a cruise ship that dropped, pulled up every day, you know, these people kind of get off the cruise ship visiting the island of Patmos. That's not what happened. Okay, it wasn't a vacation destination. It wasn't an all-inclusive resort. It wasn't a cruise destination. This is where the Roman government sent their exiled prisoners. Off to the island of Patmos, where there were rocks on the island of Patmos, and you would crush rocks, and you would move rocks. And essentially, these people were, were exiled to the island of Patmos to await their death. So you have to imagine this. Here's John writing these letters. He's on this, these words. He's on the island of Patmos. He's saying, I'm in Jesus just like you're in Jesus, he says, and we're brothers and we're partners and we're experiencing the kingdom. But we're also suffering and we're bearing up under the load of, of patient endurance. And he's writing to these seven churches that we'll be introduced to in just a moment who are also beginning to face the same kind of persecution that he was facing. I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm asking the question, well, why? Like, why? Why would this be happening? I mean, if you're in Jesus, why does this happen? Well, look at what he says. Why, does it why is it happening? On account of what? What does it say? 
The word of God and what? The testimony of Jesus. Why is this happening to John? Why does this happen to Christians? Why does it happen to followers of Christ? Because they're being faithful. John is doing what God had asked him to do. This is the Apostle John. What did God ask him? What did Jesus ask him to do? He asked him to do two things. I want you to preach the word of God, and I want you to tell people about Jesus. John, I want you to preach the word of God, and I want you to tell people about me. That's what Jesus said to him. And, and that's what he's doing, and because that's what he's doing, he, is, he has been exiled. Why, why does this lead to suffering? Why does this lead to the, for the need of patient endurance? Because Satan doesn't want you to be faithful. At some point, your faith in Jesus and your faithfulness to Jesus will be tested. If, you, if you're going to be faithful to what Jesus has asked you to do, you need to know that Satan doesn't want you to be faithful. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of the power of this air. You say, well, how does this play out? Well, it plays out in all different ways around this world, in countries where worldviews and truth collide, some like John actually today face death because they are in Jesus. Right? You, don't, you and I don't need any more pictures of ISIS with men in orange jumpsuits to know that this is true, right? We, John wrote this a long time ago. This is real right now. And as we have experienced in the last few months, we also know that this is not just something that happens there. It actually is starting to happen here. We don't need to hear another story about another high school, do we? Sometimes we read the Word of God and we go, oh my goodness, that happened to John. I can't believe, you know, he was in Jesus and he had to experience those kinds of things. I'm telling you, People all around the world right now are facing the exact same kind of challenges. Why? 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 Because they're being faithful to what Christ has asked them to do. The evil one does not want them to be faithful. And they're paying the price for that. In a country that celebrates civility over conviction or promotes tolerance over truth, where the agenda of the individual is even more important than the agenda of God himself, there will always, there will always be a growing negative reaction to the authority of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We should not be shocked. We should not be shocked that those of us who are in Jesus who are being faithful to the word of God and Faithful to tell people about Jesus, we should not be shocked that in this world there are sometimes a negative reaction to that. Why? Because people don't want to place themselves underneath the authority of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That sounds like pretty exclusive to me. I am, he said. And when we start saying things like that and we start to express things like that to, to people, sometimes people just don't respond properly to that. So we have, we have a world where, where, we live in a world where truth 
these worldviews, they collide with one another. We also live in a world that's full of the consequences of sin, where health tests come back. And sometimes the results of those tests are not always good, where there are tense relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children, and, and we're not always fulfilled in our jobs. Anybody got a job that they just, they, you know, everything that you do, you're just like 100%. That's amazing. I can't believe, oh, my goodness, everything I do is just absolutely amazing. I'm guessing it's your first week. <laughs> right? You don't even have to tell me how long you've been on the job. I'm going to say, okay, week one. See, all of those things, all of those things are, are things that God uses to strengthen and prove your faith. But at the same time, they're the same things that Satan tries to use to tear down your faith, to doubt the Word of God, and to doubt the testimony of Jesus. You see, when you follow Jesus, your faithfulness to Jesus will be challenged. You have to know this. You absolutely must know that life can be challenging and there will be times when your faith in Jesus and your faithfulness to Jesus will be challenged. And it's when you experience those challenges, those stretches, those tests, right? That's when you begin to ask questions like, why God, where are you God? And, and you need to know this, when your faith is challenged, where Jesus is and who Jesus is absolutely matters. So we have to, write this down, we have to, number two, we got to possess an unwavering certainty in where Jesus is. So they say a picture is worth, you never heard that saying before? Let's try it again. A picture is worth a thousand words, a thousand words. And so the beauty of this, as we begin to read this, is we need to understand that what God does for John while he's stuck on the island of Patmos awaiting his death Jesus gives, God gives him this picture. And he begins to record for us this picture. Look at what it says in verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So you try to picture this. John, who's in Jesus, has this partnership with these churches. They're all experiencing this persecution. And what's he doing on Sunday morning? Worshiping. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was just, I was like, I'm, this, is, this is such a beautiful picture for me. This man is like stuck out in the middle of nowhere, and what's he doing on Sunday morning, right? He's just, man, God, I love you. And he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's his way of saying, you know, when, when I was doing that, when I was doing that, God gave me this, he, he gave me this, this beautiful, beautiful picture, this beautiful, beautiful vision. And so this is what it says. I, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So he's standing, he's worshiping, he's worshiping, and behind him he hears this loud voice. And this is what the loud voice says in verse 11. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned... I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw, what? Seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. A picture's worth a thousand words. Where's Jesus in this picture? In 
the middle. In the middle of what? He's in the middle of these seven golden lampstands. You say, oh my goodness, seven golden lampstands. Where are we going with this picture? Well, you have to understand that John, who is Jewish, fully understands where this picture is going because in Zechariah, um, in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, he would, he would realize that these seven golden lampstands, when they were lit in the temple, they represented the presence of God. You say, okay, great, so they represent the presence of God, but what are the seven golden lampstands? Well, you don't have to really guess because he actually tells you. Look at verse 20 of chapter 1. Just scan down to the end of this, this passage here, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are what? The seven churches. Which seven churches? Well, the seven churches that he was just told to write to. The seven churches who were beginning to experience the same kind of persecution that John was experiencing from the Roman government. These exact seven churches. And so he reminds, this picture reminds him of this truth. Where is Jesus when you face the challenges of life? He is right in where? The middle. Absolutely, amen to that. He is absolutely right in the middle. He's in the middle of all. He's not just above. He's not just beyond. He's not outside looking in. He's not on the sidelines kind of get, taking a notice about what's going on. No, 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 no. He is absolutely right in the middle. And when you face life's challenges and your faith is being stretched, you absolutely have to know where Jesus is. He's in the middle. Now, Brenda and I have two children. They're both um, adults now. In their mid to late 20s, they're both married. Uh, John, um, John and his wife, Julie, live in Louisville. And they, they gave us our first grandchild this year. Amen. You can clap if you want. That's fantastic. Um, in August, that was pretty lame. That's a lame clap, but that's okay. And, um, and she, they gave us Elle, and we were just so excited to know Elle. And uh, I always say, well, I wish I could have skipped the kid phase and went right to grandparenting. But it's just absolutely just such a joy, such a joy for us. And then, and then our daughter, Christine and Joe, um, live in Canada, where we're from, back in the Ontario area. And uh, they're going to give us our second grandchild in January. This is so much fun. <laughs> See, still lame, still lame. Still very, very lame. That's okay. 11 o'clock will do it better, no doubt. Um, you know, we're at a stage in our life where actually we can see all of the blood, sweat, and tears, the prayers that some of you are experiencing right now. Um, we're seeing how God has chosen to answer our prayers, and our kids are both living for the Lord. They love God. They're serving him. They're involved in their churches, um, passionately trying to pursue him in their own way. And we're excited about that. But I want to tell you something. Five years ago, that was not the case. So five years ago, I, I was pastoring a church in, in Canada, and uh, we were... We were trying to be faithful to Jesus by preaching the word of God 
and telling people about Jesus. And, uh, but our family life was like totally ripped apart. And five years ago, we found ourselves driving down into Toronto, right down to the downtown area, this really big metropolis of a city, and dropping our daughter off at a hospital in right downtown because she had this really severe eating disorder, like, like life-threatening eating disorder. And I... I can re- I remember it all vividly. Um, I remember the drive down to the city. Um, we had waited for almost two years to be able to get to the point where we could get her into a program where she was willing to go into a program and to actually have her go into a program. And finally, we, it opened up. We had to make a decision really quick, you know, and, and you know, just, just praying to God, please, please, God, have her say yes. She finally said yes, and... We got her down into the city, and we drove into this place. I remember the, I remember how the awkward silence in the car as we drove. I, I remember going. In, I remember the admission process. And we went into this room, and it had like ceiling tiles. There's some were some were in, and some weren't out in. And they had like f- ugly fluorescent lights, and they had cables running all over the place. And I, I can remember saying, "I'm leaving my daughter here. Like I'm actually leaving her here." And I remember when they put the, uh, the admission bracelet around her wrist, her really thin wrist. I can, I can see that now. I can envision that right now. I remember the elevator ride upstairs to the floor that we were going to drop her off. I remember, I can hear, still hear the click of the door behind us. We brought, took her in. I can remember seeing the other patients and going, oh, God. What is happening? I remember walking out and hearing the click of the lock behind us as that area was totally locked off. I remember going downstairs. I remember being outside on numerous trips. I remember all of the questions. I, I, have, I have all I have some of the same questions you've had in your life I've had in mine. Like, God, why? Why is this happening? What are you doing? What in the world are you doing? I share that story because I know all across this auditorium, we all share, maybe not in that exact story, but we share in the same kind of darkness of the soul, the pain of the darkness of the soul. And I'm here to tell you this. Jesus is in the middle. Now, when you're at that stage, at that spot, or you're at that spot, I'm telling you, you don't, you don't feel like that. that's the truth, the case. And you're confronted with a lot of lies. And I want to share just three lies, three lies that Satan brings into your life when you're experiencing the darkness of your soul. Here's the first lie. God has abandoned me. All right? God has, God has abandoned me. And... Um, God, I want to tell you this this morning, God is not an absentee parent that abandons his children. He is not. Joshua 1.5 says, I will be with you, I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua 1.5, I will be with you, I will not leave you or forsake you. 
Or here's this other, another lie that we, we hear at times, and it's this. God, God is distant from you, or he's distant from me. And it can feel like that. I mean, there are moments when it feels like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and coming back, right? It can feel like that, but, but God is not like the general in an army back at headquarters working out the plan while you're on the front line. Joshua 1.9 says, The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, he's with you wherever you go, Joshua 1.9. He he's not distant from you. Or how about this one? Well, God's hiding from you. He's hiding from you. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He is what? A very present help in trouble. He's not hiding. Where is he? Where is he? Where is Jesus? When you're experiencing the pain and the weight and the travesty of the challenge of life, where is Jesus? He's in the middle. Just like he was for John, just like he was for the seven churches, so is true for your life as well. He is absolutely in the middle. He is right here, right now, in the middle of our struggle. And when your faith is challenged, where Jesus is absolutely matters. So let me ask you this question. What is it? What is your greatest challenge right now? If you want to do something, just flip your notes over. There's a lot of blank white space on the back side of those notes. Just take, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you like 15 seconds right now to write down in one word or two words, what's the greatest challenge that you're facing right now? Go ahead, just write it down. Just write down a word or whatever or do and a symbol if you don't want anyone else to see what it is, something that's going to remind you what that is. Okay, what's that one thing? What's that greatest challenge that you're facing right now? Now, where is Jesus in the midst of that challenge? Where is he? He's in the middle. And when we, face, we begin to face these kinds of challenges in our life, we need to understand that Jesus is in the middle. We have to possess an unwavering certainty of where Jesus is. And then write this down. You have to practice an undivided confidence in who Jesus is. You know, it's, it's not enough to know that God is with you. You have to understand what he's like while he's with you. I have talked to a lot of people, and they got a lot of different ideas about what it means for God to be present in, in their life in the midst of the challenges, or what Jesus' presence is actually like in the midst of the challenges. I mean, some people, I think some people actually think that Jesus, while he's in the middle with you, with the challenges of life, that he's acting kind of like a cheerleader, you know? He's like, he's on the sideline, and when he sees you do something, wow, that's pretty great. Or he's, he's in the stands kind of watching. I hear this a lot. What's it like to have God, God in your life? Oh, he's, he's watching me. He's watching me. Well, yeah, he is watching me. Is that it? That's all he does? He just kind of watches? He's watching you? Or maybe he's like a coach on the sidelines. Every once in a while, he sends in a play. Or maybe occasionally he comes into the game and he does something with me. Is that what he's, is that what he's like? I mean, he's in the middle, but what's he like? What's he actually like when he's in the middle? Well, 
Well, the beautiful part about this, this passage is it answers the question. Like, slam dunk tells us exactly what it's like. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 12. We'll begin reading at verse 12, and, and, and here we understand. We get to get a sense of what he is like. Look at what it says in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and in turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice, his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Wow! What's he like? Well, he gives us these three grand, audacious titles to describe for us what Jesus is like while he's in the middle with us. Well, what's he like? Well, the first title is this. He's the king. Do you see what he says in verse 13? He calls him one like a what? Son of man. One like a son of man. That's right out of the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. If, you're, if we had time to go back to Daniel chapter 7, you would see that there, the Ancient of Days, there's another vision going on in that passage, and the Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days is giving all authority over all of the kingdoms of the earth to the one called Son of Man. So here you have this title given to Jesus. He is one like a Son of Man. He is, he's the one who has authority over all the kingdoms. He is like the king, not a king. He is like the king. He is like, boom, king, right? Over, over the United States, over Canada, over Mexico, over Russia, over the absolute entirety of this whole world. He is like the king of the entire universe. That's who he is when he's in the middle. King. And you say, well, how, how do you know that? Well, well look, look, at, look at what he looks like. Look at what he looks like. He's sovereign. He's wearing a king's robe, right, in verse 13. It says he's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Can you see that? Can you see that in your head? He's in the middle. He's in the middle. He's the king. He's the king. He's got this robe on. He's got this sash on. It's abs- I mean, he is like, he has like, he's wearing the, he's wearing the clothing of the king. What else? What else? Well, he's wise. He's a wise king, verse 14. Verse 14 says that the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. He has pure wisdom. Absolute pure wisdom. He knows everything. Nothing catches him off guard. While you're going through the, the, the dark night of the soul, when you are suffering with the challenges of life, you need to understand that Jesus is in the middle. He's the king. Nothing catches him off guard. Wow. He's the discerning king, verse 14. His eyes are like a flame of fire. They're purifying. They're penetrating. He looks through everything. He, he sees the junk and he burns it all away. Verse 15, he's the strong and steady king. 
His feet are like burnished bronze. They've been refined in a furnace. He's strong. Can you see that burnished bronze? His feet are like burnished bronze. He's, he's steady. He's steady. He's strong. He's firm. His strength has been tested, it says there in verse 15. Where was it tested? On the cross. I'd say he passed that one. Right? His strength has been refined. It was tested. He's a powerful king, it says in verse 15. His voice is like the roar of many waters. It's awe-inspiring. It's powerful. I grew up just a, a, an hour and a half from Niagara Falls. Have any, any of you been to Niagara Falls before? Some of you. I'm always, never, never sure, you know. Like Some of you. Any of you been on the Maid of the Mist before? Oh, just a few of you. In the maid, do, you know the maid, do you know what the Maid of the Mist was? It's this weird kind of kind of thing. You pay a lot of money, and they put you on a boat, and they give you this blue poncho kind of thing, this rain poncho thing. You kind of go, why are you giving me this blue thing? Well, in a few minutes, you realize why. You put it on, and they take this boat, this seems kind of weirdly weird, down towards, not away from, but actually towards Niagara Falls. And the closer and closer you get, the wetter and wetter you get off of the mist, right? That's why they call it the maid of the mist. The mist that's coming off the falls. But then, then something really interesting happens. The closer and closer you get to the falls, the harder and harder it is to have a conversation with somebody. Why is that? Yeah, if you've been there before, I'm telling you, it's loud. Like all of this water just coming down. Oh, it never stops. Can you believe it? It never stops. The tap's always open. It just never stops. Just never stops. Never stops. Pound, 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 pound. This loud, 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 loud voice. This is how, this is how John describes the voice of Jesus. A loud, awe-inspiring, powerful voice. Do you know that's the voice that spoke the whole universe into existence? When Jesus speaks, stuff happens. Man, it, I'm telling you, it, it happens. Where is he? Where is Jesus? This is what he's like. Well, he's in the middle. He's, he's the king. He has this... This, uh, he's a powerful king. He's a king who's in control in verse 16. It says, in his right hand he held seven stars. The right hand of God in scriptures is always description of the powerful hand of God. He holds these seven stars, these seven messengers, the angels of the church. This is way of, his way of saying he's in control. He's in absolute control. He's the king that judges in verse 16. Out from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Jesus' words cut through all the ridiculousness and nonsense of our lives. He overcomes rebellion. He's the strong and brilliant king in verse 16. You see what it says in verse 16? It says, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When does the sun shine in full strength? Noonday sun. It's a noonday sun. Usually you can't just stand there and look forever. You can't, you can't look forever at the noonday sun. Why? Because it's absolutely so bright. Tell me, where is Jesus? This is what he's like while he's in the middle. He's the king. He's the king. Don't miss that. 
He is not a cheerleader. He is not the coach. He's not the guy that runs in every once in a while for a play occasionally. He is right there in the middle, the king of the entire universe. Absolutely right there in the middle. And then he says this. Here's the second title he gives him. He says he's eternal in verses 17 and 18. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. Or earlier on, he says, the one who was and is and will be, he's eternal, he's the creator, he's the sovereign over all of history. And if he is the one who always has been and the one who always will be, and he's in control of over that, I just have to tell you this, he's in absolute control over your life too. Jesus is in the middle, and when he's in the middle, he's the king, and he's eternal. And then here's the third, her third title is this. He is the victorious one in verse 18. He says, and the living one, he says. So here he is, the living one, the one who always has been, the one who is, and the one who always will be, the living one, the living one. And it says this, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. He said, I'm the living one, and I died. Why did the living one die? Well, I'll go back to verse 5. Just scan back to verse 5, okay? Look at verse 5 of Revelation chapter 1. As he's writing this, he says, To him who loves us, in the middle of this verse, verse 5, he says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our what? Sins by his blood. So here, here's this picture. He is the living one. He is the living one, the one who always has been, always will be, the one who is. He's the living one, and yet he made a conscious and willing choice to die. I died, he says. You say, well, why, why did he die? He died because we needed him to die. Because of the sin in our lives. Without that being forgiven in the face of God, we are lost, destined, destined for an eternity in hell. And yet here he is, the one who's in the middle with us. He actually he was the living one. He always has been the living one. He always will be the living one. He laid his life down. He died. Why? Because he loves us. He loves you. Because of his grace. Because of God's mercy. So that you could experience forgiveness and you can experience life with him and life forever with God. He says, he says I, 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 I died. and He willingly allowed death to take him captive and he did that for us and for our sin. But I love what it says next. But behold, and behold, I am what? I'm alive forevermore. In other words, I burst out from death. I was resurrected from death. I'm the firstborn of the dead, it says in verse 5. He's ascended to be with the Father. He's alive right now. Right now. Where is he? Jesus is where? And he is the living one when he's in the middle. He's the living one while he's in the middle. You've got to get this. 
This has to penetrate into your hearts. He is the the living one, and because of that, he holds the keys, it says in verse 18. He's in control of whomever gets locked up or whoever gets liberated, and praise God that when we express our faith in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he alone has done for us on the cross, we are liberated. He holds the keys. Where is Jesus? And when he is in the middle of your life, he is the eternal victorious king. That's who he is. And the invitation to us this morning is, for me, pretty obvious. The message to me is, Earl, you have to trust me. I'm in the middle. You've seen it before. You're going to experience it again. I'm in the middle. Do you trust me that I'm there and that I'm the eternal victorious king while I'm there? It's hard for me to even imagine dealing with the challenges of life alone. And, and the beauty of this is Jesus' invitation through his gift of salvation as we confess our sins before him and we express our faith in what he has done for us on the cross and we enter into a personal relationship with him, the beauty of this is that the byproduct of that is he becomes, he's with us and he's in the middle. We don't have to face the challenges of life alone. In fact, he is in the middle and he's the eternal victorious king. And if you're a parent here today and you were like us, struggling with a wayward child, I, just, just hear what this passage is telling you. Jesus is right there in the middle, and he is the eternal, victorious king. Trust me, is what Jesus is saying. Or maybe to the husband and the wife who are feeling alone in their marriage. Where's Jesus? He's in the middle. He's the eternal, victorious king. To the student who maybe wants to desperately fit in it just doesn't feel like they're getting along with their friends or they don't have any friends. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you know Jesus, if you're following Jesus, he is in the middle. He's in the middle. He's the eternal victorious king. To those of you who are suffering great loss, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, we had ministry partners and part of our Harvest family. Their, their 14-year-old son died. I'm just, I was just thinking about them and praying for them as I was preparing for this message and thinking, oh, oh God, may they just know that Jesus is right there in the middle with them and in the midst of the chaos, may they know that you are the eternal victorious king. Or to the man or the woman who is facing death even this morning for the sake of the testimony of Jesus, Jesus is in the middle. He is the eternal victorious king. He is greater. Nothing. There is no trouble that is greater than Jesus. He has a plan. Do you believe that? He's the eternal victorious king. He actually, he does. He has a plan. We don't always understand the details of that. We don't know the, the minute details of his plan, but he does. He's the eternal victorious king. 
He will judge. He's going to vindicate the injustices of this world. He's greater. He has a plan. He will judge. He is enough. He is absolutely enough. Where he is and who he is is what matters. So can you, can you trust him? Can you give it to him this morning? Right, you all wrote down, right? Remember what you wrote down on the other side of the, of the page? Or at least you, you thought of those of you that don't do those things, you actually thought about it in your minds. Remember what that one challenge was? You remember what that challenge was? Okay, I'm telling you, Jesus is right in the middle of that with you, and he is the eternal victorious king while you're facing that challenge. Now, are, you re- are you ready to trust him with that? To give that to him? Well, let's pray together. I want to encourage you right now. I just want to encourage you right now to take, take a few minutes, a few moments, and I want you, I want you to, to take that challenge, and I want you to give it to him. This is going to be hard for some of you to do because you're probably, for some of you, you are facing the, the weight and the difficulty of the challenges of life. Maybe you want to open your hands right now just as an expression to say to God, I'm, I'm ready to receive from you, but I'm also ready to give to you. So what's that challenge? What's that one challenge? What is that thing that is, is, that, that, is that weight Now just take that challenge and say, say, to, say to God, God, I, this is the challenge that I'm facing. And oh man, it's hard, it's hard, it's painful, it's, it's hard, it's stretching me. I'm so, so challenged with the weight, the patient endurance. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Now trust him. In the midst of the weight, in the midst of the challenge, say, God, here it is. I know, I believe that you are in the middle with me. You're not a distant God, you're a close God. You are in the middle. And I believe that you are the eternal victorious king. I leave your plans with you. I know you are greater. I know you are enough. And I pray this in Jesus' name. It's because of him. Amen.